probably wondering, what is re? Is that even a word, right? It's a prefix, and it means again and again. And we're going to look at a few of Jesus's miracles because his miracles made people go back and take a longer look at him to take a second look at what was going on. And we're going to look at a miracle today that has to do with provision. And hopefully it causes us to look back and maybe redefine provision as we know it. But we know that miracles, Jesus performed many of them. 37 we have recorded in the New Testament. Jesus healed people. The blind were able to see. The deaf were able to hear. Jesus demonstrated new modes of transportation by walking on water, right? He calmed storms. He fed people. He raised people from the dead. Numerous miracles. And the author of today's book even said there were many Many that we didn't even record in the book. A miracle is something that is unexplainable by the natures of law. And so we attribute them to supernatural or that God had his hand in it. And miracles have a purpose. A greater purpose than the miracle itself. And Jesus wanted to get across the power of God. He wanted to confirm that he was the one that the Old Testament prophesied about, that he is the savior. He is the good shepherd. And so we're going to look at a miracle today. And before we do that, I want to get Bibles in your hands. So ushers, if you will come down, if you don't have a Bible, just signal to them, they will give you one. If you have one and you forgot it, you can simply use it during the service and put it back or give it to somebody that doesn't have a Bible. The words in there are powerful. And I know they draw me every day back again and again. But we're going to look at John chapter 2 this morning. It's in the New Testament. But John, as one of the gospel writers, used a different word for miracle. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all used a Greek word when transliterated was dunamis which dealt with power, showing the power of God. But John used a different Greek word, transliterated semeon, which meant sign. And a sign points to something beyond itself. We all know what a sign is. This past week, the world saw a sign, didn't they? If you looked on any news channel, Fox, CNN, they were like picture in a picture. They had the news going on, but they also had a chimney stack on the Vatican, right? That wasn't to let you know that they have a nice warm fire going on in the, in the Vatican. It was to tell us that the inner meaning was that the Pope either had been elected or hadn't been elected, that smoke was a sign. And so their, their inner meaning, and John had, it was stressing the inner meaning of the miracle, to look at the spiritual side of it. And scholars and theologians will say, be very careful that you don't miss the obvious. And that's true. We don't want to miss the obvious. But I like what A.T. Pearson said. He's a deceased pastor and author. He said, that's true, 
But we must not be so shackled to history that we are blind to his story. It'll play on words, but it's so important as we look at today's miracle. I want to read it in its entirety before we go in and look at a few pieces. So again, John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Does it bother you that we have no idea who is getting married? When you say you went to a wedding, a common question is, who got married? We can't tell from this story. It obviously was not the focus of the story. There are a few things we can gather from the story, like who was there. We know that Jesus' mother was there. Jesus was there. Who can trump having Jesus at your wedding? Who was there? One person. That's all you have to say. Who was it? Jesus. Oh, can't. But Jesus was there and the disciples were there. But not every disciple had been called as of yet. So we, we can know by just looking around the text that Andrew, Simon, Peter, Nathaniel, and Philip were probably at this wedding. And weddings are different than, uh, in the Jewish culture than what we know as a wedding. For us, it may be a half-day event where you have the ceremony and then you have the reception. But for them, it was a festival, a feast that lasted for a week. And they had to have enough food and wine to go throughout the week. The groom was responsible for ensuring that there was enough. And wine in the Jewish culture symbolized joy. Some rabbis would say, without wine, there is no joy. Now, don't go running out of here saying the inner meaning of this, you know, I don't need Donnie and Dave coming after and saying, what was it that you teach? But joy, matter of fact, it would have been a disgrace if it turned into a drunken party. And it would be, it was discouraged. There was the master of the banquet. That was a high position of honor. And that master presided over the entertainment. And he had to regulate the food and the wine so that it did not run out and that the event did not turn to a disgrace. But running out of wine would have been a disgraceful event. It would have been a faux pas socially. But 
even financially because the groom would be fined or potentially fined for running out of wine. And so just at the basic level, when you look at this miracle, you see Jesus providing. He turned water into wine to keep the wedding going. But there's so much more here. But you need to hear right off the bat that God cares about even the small things. He knows and he cares. And you can bring your needs to him. I remember in the year 2000, right at the beginning of January, one of my life verses is John 10.10. I love when Jesus said, for I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And in 2000, I had been a Christ follower for 18 years. But that year I said, Lord, as we head into the year, I want to journey with you and explore because on the outside, externally, abundantly rich. I have a a wife and a young family and a, a great job with IBM and all of that is rich and abundant, but there's something going on inside with me. And I I didn't know what it was, but I, I said, Lord, there's this need to explore why I feel that emptiness. And so as you come today and you're listening, you may come with a need. You may come with an addiction that you are gripped by and you cannot break. You may come where your marriage is in shambles or it's not like what it used to be. You may come with your failing health. You may come with your finances that are so tight, they're, they're beyond that. Things are just snowballing. What we're looking at today, the miracle speaks to God's provision. But he will... He wants to provide in a far more complete way than we could ever imagine. And so I want to take a look at the the, uh, miracle and zoom in on a couple pieces to look at just a few critical pieces. First, I want to say accepting God's provision begins with turning toward him. Mary did it immediately. She went, she saw the crisis and she went to Jesus. I don't think she went out of a panic. I don't think she went, oh no, we're out of wine. What are we going to do? She knew. I'm not doing that again, by the way. (laughs) She knew the miracle around her son's birth. She knew Elizabeth, her cousin, and the birth of her son, John the Baptist. And so I think she went to Jesus expecting him to do something and to take care of it. And so she turned toward him. And to be perfectly honest with you, that is not always my first move. A lot of times I look at my own abilities, my own skills, my own knowledge, my own emotional strength before I go running to God. That year in January, I started the journey in January And it wasn't until August of 2000 when I finally let people in, including God, into panic and anxiety that had gripped me since childhood. I never told my parents. I never told my brother and sister. I didn't even tell my wife, although after I shared it with her, she could start to see some of that. But it wasn't my first Move, But that day, 
I talk to God, let him into a piece of my heart that needed to be taken care of. And out of that, I reached out to other Christ followers who started to help me. God's provision begins by turning toward him. And I ask you, have you done that? Have you involved him in your circumstance? Who else knows what you're going through? Does anybody? Why don't they know? Maybe you don't want them to know. This is your church family. You can talk with one of the pastors. Maybe it's for the first time you need to share that. That's what that what's up card. Talk with a pastor. It's for things like that. If you're in a group, talk to the small group leader. But why haven't you let him in on it? Maybe that's your first step, what Mary did. Involve Jesus on what's going on. And that will lead you to accepting God's provision means trusting him. Look at verse 5. Does Mary say, do whatever I tell you to do? She says, do whatever he, Jesus, tells you to do. Again, she knew that Jesus was on this earth for a greater purpose. We don't have time to go into it, but in, the, in that miracle, he says, now's not the time. My hour has not come. That was a reminder to her that he was on a heavenly timetable that was stepped out by God the Father. He was on a mission, and she trusted him with that. And this is hard as well. Because when you're sitting there in August, I was staring at being empty, no joy in my life, emotionally exhausted, I'd say depressed. And I found it really hard to understand that that was God allowing some stuff in my life so that he can provide in a far greater way than I could ever imagine. It's hard. But one thing I did was sitting there is I had to trust him. I had to trust what his word said. I had to trust that his spirit, which is greater than me, but lives inside of me as a Christ follower, was going to do what it takes. But it was hard because it wasn't adding up. And, and maybe that resonates with you today. You understand you have a need and you have a desired outcome. I want to make my marriage happy again. I want to have a friend so that I'm not lonely. I need money so that I don't have to live like this anymore. I just want my health back and then things will be there. And you don't understand how God in the midst of this can free you from an addiction, how he can provide and meet your need financially, how he can restore your marriage. You're just not seeing it. But I'd say and ask this question to you, do you trust that he can? Do you trust that he can take you to that place that is right and good and best for your life? Write down Romans 8, 28. Do you believe that's a lie? Or do you believe that is the truth that you can hold on to? In this moment, do you believe what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 that your promises preserve my life, O oh God? Because if you're struggling with that, part of you is still holding on. You may have turned, but you haven't fully released yourself. And when you get to that point, 
where you get to the end of you. That's when God is there and his provision begins to flow. Mary did that. She just trusted and gave it to him. And look what happens after. Look at verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I could only imagine what those servants were thinking, right? We know they ran out of wine. And he's saying, Jesus saying, go fill those jars with water and take them to the, take it to the master. Water? They want wine. It probably wasn't connecting for them either. But furthermore, those jars had a far greater purpose than drinking from them. That wasn't the purpose of those jars. In the Jewish culture, their rituals, their religious rituals, that was for ceremonial washing, like they say. They would come in and wash their hands and their feet. Why? Because their law, their religious law said that was the only way you could be clean was through that ceremony. And if you didn't, then you were declared unclean. And so that, those water jars were an unlikely source for the miracle to provide the need. But remember, John had a greater, he used a different word for miracles, a sign to point to something else. Jesus was making a statement about their law that all they could do was take care of the external They could do nothing with the inside, the heart that need to be cleansed. And they could do nothing to make joy flow from the heart. Only he could do that. He's the only one that could do it. I like at the beginning of John, if you look at John chapter one, it reads, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And if you go back to Moses's first one of his beginning miracles, it was to change water into blood, showing God's judgment against Pharaoh who was holding the Israelites captive. But here we have Jesus's miracle of turning water into wine, showing a miracle, showing his grace, completely true of what is said in John chapter one. We don't know who the bride and groom are, But we do know who is at center stage. Jesus and these empty, dirty looking jars. That is the focus. And I believe that those jars are you and I. That represents our heart that can get hard and empty. And we can try everything on the outside to do what we think needs to be done. But it's only him, Jesus, that can fill to the brim exactly what you need. I didn't understand sitting in that counselor's office, but I trusted that how did fear and anxiety, and it may seem obvious to you, but to me on that day, how did abundant life and fear and anxiety go hand in hand? But God wanted to teach me that the spirit of his spirit in me was not a spirit of timidity, 
but of power and of love. And in order to ever feel abundant life, something else, that stuff, that fear and anxiety had to be removed in order for it to get there. How about you? Maybe there's a deeper meaning or a deeper sense of provision that he wants to do with you. I've watched him heal marriages. He can do it. That happens all the time. But listen, if, if our objective in healing our marriage is just to make me happy, he's more concerned with your marriage with him first. And out of that, you'll be able to do the miraculous things that will bring healing and unity in your marriage. Maybe it's money. More money will solve the immediate need for sure. He knows how to answer your prayer. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. He knows how to do that. But he's more more concerned with any spiritual bankruptcy that may be going on inside. He wants to deal with that. Loneliness. It is true that we are relational beings. He created us that way. But what is also true is that through his spirit, he provides everything we need to live his life. And so that means even in the times when our relationships are fluctuating, he is able to hold us in that. And he wants to get you to the point where you are content no matter what is around you. Addictions. Absolutely, the behavior has got to stop. But God's provision wants to get at the root that causes the whole cycle to start. Those are the things, the inner things that he wants to get at. And we may be those empty, barren pots, but through Jesus Christ, he can provide. He can deal with the stuff that needs to happen on the interior in our hearts. Lastly, I'd say accepting God's provision means obeying him. Look at verse 8. Then Jesus told them, the, the servants, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. You know, I, I don't think that when they poured the water into the jars it turned to wine. I, I don't think that. I think it happened in the process of being obedient. Did it happen when they scooped the water out to give it to the master? Or did it happen when the master went, did it turn to wine? Both of those would be consistent with other parts of scripture. Go to the Old Testament. And we see in Joshua 3, the priests were instructed by God, take my people to the promised land, cross the Jordan in this way. Little problem. They get to the Jordan and it's at flood stages. But when they were obedient and put their toe in the water, the water parted. Go to the New Testament. Matthew 14, five loaves feeding 5,000. He tells the disciples, take these five. Imagine what you'd be thinking. 
take these five and start feeding my people. And if you've read the Bible, you know the end of the story. There were leftovers. Are you willing to cooperate with God? Because part of accepting God's provision means obeying him. And the servants, they did that. Look what happened. Verse 10. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It was custom to, to bring the best wine first. Because the, the festivities were one week long. So their palates were dulled. It wasn't that they were drunk and they wouldn't know the difference between the good wine and the bad wine. No, they wanted the good wine first. And here they're saying, Jesus brought it at a time we didn't expect. And it is far better than we had ever imagined. And I think the most important part of this miracle is in verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. His glory, his power was demonstrated for a very specific purpose. A need was met. But what we see recorded was a real intention to say the disciples' faith. Remember, there were four of them called at this point. And Jesus knew that he called them. He knew where they would be going. And he knew the great faith that it would take to carry out that mission. And he wanted to build their faith. And he did. I can tell you that my season in 2000 built my faith, my wife's faith, and people around us. It shaped where I was going, where I am today. And he continues to do things in my life through his provision to shape where I'm going to be going. And you may have come with a need today and you know what it is. You know what you want. Perhaps there's some, something in the middle that he wants to do with you because through Jesus it is true that he will give you life and give it to you abundantly but he's the one that's going to be able to go in and deal with things you cannot do you cannot get into the heart you can allow him to go there and I would encourage you to do that turn toward him trust that what he says about himself is true that he cares for you He's going to take you down a right path and obey. Like Mary said, do what he said to do. And most importantly, in the, in, in the provision will be the most important thing. He will grow your faith, which is more precious than anything this world can give you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you know exactly what we need. And we talked this morning as just all the ways that uh, well, we may, our view may be too narrow, but you know what is right. And you know that we can't do it ourselves. Thank you for sending your son as we worship today and uh, just reflected on the words and, and singing and the scripture we saw. Your son is the savior, more powerful than anything we could ever latch onto. And we just pray as we go from here that we continue to let him lead in our lives. And for some, it may be turning to him for the first time. Lord, allow whatever is going on in their life to draw them to you, the source of life. 
It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.